I actually just got back from a trip to Mexico where we put solar on a network of, it's one of 10 private orphanages. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick Podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thangin, so let's get into it. Welcome to the Solar Maverick Podcast. I'm your host, Benoit Thangin. I'm really excited to have my guest today. He is Nathan Giovanelli. He's a friend, a solar expert, an entrepreneur, and thought leader. We actually had Nate on episode 20 of the Solar Maverick podcast, so definitely check it out. We got a lot of great feedback on his perspective of working at IGS Solar, where he's an entrepreneur. Welcome, Nate, to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here again. Again, yes. So this is your second time doing a podcast, and I find that guests are more comfortable the more obviously they do it. So hopefully it seemed in the first one, you were a little bit nervous in the first one or two minutes, but then it just really flowed really well. So, and we had a lot of great conversation and we didn't go by the book. We were kind of talking about different topics that interest both of us. So I'm excited to have you again. Yeah. You're super easy to talk to. So yeah. it makes it super, it's really easy, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, I'm just glad to be back. I had a lot of fun the first time. I'm really looking forward to this, doing it again. I'm surprised people actually want to hear what I have to say, but uh, I certainly have a lot to say. So like I said, it's thanks for giving me the forum and it's great to be here. Anytime you're a thought leader in the industry, you know you should definitely follow Nate on LinkedIn and Twitter because he really gives a lot of great insight and his experience into the energy and solar industry. I think it would be helpful. I know we talked about this in episode 20, but to tell people about what you do at IGS and what IGS is as a company. Sure. Yeah. So IGS is the largest independent energy supplier. So family owned, been in business for over 30 years. About six years ago, we started a distributed generation business, which turned into commercial solar and then followed that up with a residential solar business. So I, I was just saying in the pre-interview, I uh, probably should have looked up how many megawatts that we have, and I haven't done that. I can say on the residential side, it's probably about 8,000 homes. On the CNI side, you know, we have multiple funds now. And I know last time I was on, I think we were saying it was 145 megawatts total. So it's been a whole year after that. So I would think it's safe to say that we're over 200 between the CNI and residential, but I I don't have that number with me and I should have had it. But I think that's a good indication of pretty much the size of IGS. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, IGS is a major player within the industry. And it sounds like, as you mentioned, you operate in a lot of different states within both third-party energy supplying and obviously a solar energy. It would also be great too for you to talk about what you focus on IGS. I know when we first spoke, you kind of had two roles, which you still do today, but you're more focused on the residential financing piece. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I'm the director of business development at IGS and I've always kind of worn two hats. I do enjoy the CNI. have developed uh, several large projects for Fortune 100 companies. I've also done tons of charter schools and nonprofits. We just finished a few churches up actually for one of the dioceses in New Jersey. So I really like doing that, but thank you. My heart was always a little bit closer, I think, to the residential business. I just, I felt a little bit more like it's really 
what I wanted to do. It's kind of hard to describe, but it really starting to lead me, I think, to where my mission is. And, and that's a lot of LMI type stuff. I really want to get that figured out. I think we touched on it briefly in the last podcast. And for those that don't know, LMI is low moderate income. And I think they base that off of I think if you're in the bottom 20% of, or if you make 80% of the average median income of that area, something like that, or less than, I forget what it is. It's something like that. No worries. Actually, in the, one of the podcast episodes, we actually talk about LMI customers, low moderate income, how uh, actually community solar is a way that LMI customers who would normally not have access due to credit because usually, you know, there's a credit score requirement that they would get access to solar from it. Actually, the project that we're developing with the New York Housing Authority for community solar, there's a certain percentage that's going to LMI. Yeah, so LMI is if the homeowner makes less than 80% of the area median income. That's what that's it is. That's interesting. Yeah, so I think that's one of the last, I don't want to say issues because there's so many great things about solar, but that's one of the last things that you could maybe say negative about solar is that, you know, I think the other side that wants to throw stones, which you're always going to find those people <laughs> no matter what you're doing or how, how noble your cause is. True. But one of the things that you can say is that in some ways there's people that feel that it's a sort of regressive tax. And I'm not saying that this is how I feel, but I do think there's a little bit of truth to that. And what happens is if you, to monetize the federal investment tax credit, you have to make a certain income to get a TPO or third party owned system, like what IGS does, right? Like a PPA or lease, even a loan, you need generally a certain credit score, a certain amount of income, all those things factor in. And what happens is it's sort of as an incentive for the people that can afford it. And what that does is as you're taking more solar off the grid, right, then some of those other components of the energy have to go up to make up for that, right? The utility has to make money because they're losing, in some respects, money from people are going off. And then what's going to happen is the people that are in this LMI category often get left behind because they can't take advantage of the tax and credit. And, you know, maybe they don't have the credit score or or a whole host of other factors. They live in a rental property, something like that. So I think once we really, as an industry, figure out how to tackle that piece, that's really the last domino. Personally, I feel that we already are at a point of cultural change in America for renewables. I mean, again, that's a great point. Yeah. I totally agree with you. I never even thought about that. Cultural. That's key. Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to get into a political view, but I just think what I see, what I believe, why I am in this industry is that, you know, I believe that the next generation wants renewable energy. I think they're demanding renewable energy. And and you can look at the news and I don't care what news outlet you watch. You're going to continue to see that trend, like where, my kids, right? I think that they're, I hope that they live in a world where we are increasing the amount of renewables that are on the grid. And it's really silly not to. We have this huge thermonuclear reactor in the sky that gives us all the power we could ever need. And all we have to do is tap into that and we can start solving energy problems globally, if you really think about it, right? Getting energy to people that don't currently have energy now. And I think there's just so much value to that. There's a lot of things, you know, that 
are popular and and I just believe that someday our kids are going to look back and be like I can't believe you guys did that right I mean like yeah. I don't know lead paint or asbestos right definitely I mean you could go it's, it could be as simple as I another thing I kind of a side tangent but another belief that I, I sort of have I think one day our kids are going to look at us and say I can't believe that you used to flush the toilet with clean water yes, think about it you can capture true. rainwater instead of you know, eroding streams and everything else that we do with this water, just trying to get it away. These big concrete aqueducts cause flooding, all this other stuff, or you could capture it and reuse it in so many other forms, whether it's irrigation or other. And I, I know we're starting to do that side tangent, but just kind of proving the point where I think we're evolving as a society, really renewables is a great way to continue to, to push forward and improve quality of life for a lot of people. Definitely. I mean, I think all these points are key points and, you know, you're a thought leader in the industry and I appreciate that. It's interesting, you know, that you mentioned the first part is LMI and getting them access to solar because I think it's a, a huge opportunity and that's great to see that you're following your passion within solar going into residential it was interesting, another point you mentioned about the projects that you're doing with the archdiocese, because it's very challenging for nonprofits to get third-party financing for renewable energy. And also, they can't obviously, if our listeners, the Mavericks are not familiar, you know, they can't use like the investment tax credit or the five-year maker's depreciation just because you know they don't they don't pay they don't taxes, pay tax. <laughs> so they need a third party finance and owner of the system. So that's interesting because usually nonprofits are a lot harder to finance. So that's great to hear about the projects that IGS has done in that space. Yeah, I will say, I mean, they they are difficult to finance, and I think we talked about on the last episode, not to go too much back in time, but we talked about you know really how IGS got its start in uh, CNI Solar, and that was filling this this need, right? And what I always talk about is value add, like where do you add value? And there was an obvious need to me for someone to come in and play in this mid-market. And that's really where IGS flourished, you know, outside of residential for regular commodity. So it was a natural fit for us to jump into that space. But like, you know, we've talked about before, all projects aren't cookie cutter. So it's really hard to rinse and repeat a lot of small projects sure. like that. It gets very difficult. And over time, as I think often happens, candidly, you know, our average project size has increased. We're probably over well over a megawatt at this point. Okay. But that doesn't mean you still can't make it work. We just turned on one of the, I think it's the largest project in Washington, D.C. There's a lot of press releases on it. That's for the Catholic Charities. You know, we've done a two megawatt plus array for a mega church in Maryland for the First Baptist of Glen Arden. So we've done a lot of big nonprofits too that are probably a little bit outside of what most people think of when they think of nonprofit. And again, don't get me wrong, we've done our fair share of homeowners associations and, yes. and things like that, charter schools and to get to this point. And that was a great starting point. And I still think there's a need in that market. And as long as there's you know, as you pointed out, these tax incentives that they can't take advantage of. It's a great, great business to be in. There's also, you know, other challenges as well. They pay much higher rates, generally speaking. Yes, that's another great point. Right. Than a general, you know, CNI customer would. Yeah. And if you're not familiar, basically the power purchase agreement structure is basically a discount to what they're currently usually paying for electricity. So, you know, it's helping their business, you know, energy costs 
electricity costs as their major one of their major expenses. So any way that they could get a discount without putting a capital outlay into the equipment is seems like it's a win win for all the parties involved, which is great. And it was interesting too, another point that you mentioned too, that the younger population is more aware about climate change, implementing climate change initiatives. And it's amazing if you think about it, how many now companies have 100% renewable energy goals, states as well, which is leading to a lot of development of solar energy. Also, obviously, the cost of solar keeps going down, the efficiencies, it's getting cost competitive, you know, with other forms of electricity, which is why you're seeing a lot of deployment. You know, we've never really on the podcast talk a lot about the residential solar market. You know, I'm more focused on the commercial industrial community solar utility scale development, even though I did work at SolarCity slash Tesla and did have experience in residential. But it would be good to get your perspective on the residential solar market, just high level, you know, the financing. I know that's a very general and vague. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, yeah. Yeah, no, I have a lot of thoughts, obviously, in the market, and that's why I love what I do, and I'm so passionate about it. I mean, right now, I'm not sure, a year ago, it was about a year ago last time I was on, how many states we're in? I want to say maybe four. So now we're in eight states. We'll be in nine probably by the end of this year. We'll be in 10 by, say, the end of quarter one next year. I think you know, there are some states that are going to be very challenging, but the trend seems to be just for all the reasons you just mentioned, actually, for CNI, and I think you're talking about, but it applies to residential as well, is when you have these states like, you know, Arizona or even Texas, Florida is a great state for us. A lot of sun hours, right? Definitely. So relative the exposure. Yeah, yes. there's a lot of sun. So even though they have relatively low, low electric, electric rates, rates yeah. they have Large rooftops, generally speaking, because, you know, it's, uh, it's somewhat less expensive to live. I guess it depends on what you're comparing it to. So it's a little relative, but you know, a lot of people retire there and they get, a, like I said, a lot of sun, a lot of continuous rooftop. So it's perfect for residential solar. So right now, IGS is in, you know, our first three states that, that we piloted was Maryland, New Jersey, and Massachusetts. And, you know, back a few years ago, Maryland was great because of actually state incentives, much like New Jersey, which will be interesting to see what happens there in Massachusetts, frankly. Yes, but definitely. we're slowly expanding out of that into these states that are, I would say, less reliant on incentives, although we are in you know, Connecticut, New York, but then also California most recently, and I had mentioned Florida, so I think that's all eight. So we have been looking at Illinois. It's been a hot state for a while, so I think we'll be there by the end of this year. And then in Q1, we're planning on getting into Arizona. Definitely. And so what you, what IGS Solar, specifically for residential, does is partner with local installers and basically provide a financing solution? Is that really how you're structured? Exactly. Yeah. So we do what we refer to as TPO, so third-party owned. So I look at, there's basically two segments of the market. There's cash, which could be, you know, really a loan. And then there's TPO, which would be a power purchase agreement or a lease. So in that TPO, quite literally third-party owned means I can get solar on my home. You don't pay anything for it. And then a company like IGS will own it for 25 years. We maintain it, we monitor it, and then you pay IGS, in this case, for the power that's generated on your roof. And the whole idea is that power that's generated is less expensive than what you would have otherwise paid from the grid, 
from you know the utility or your third yeah. party supplier. So that's the general structure. You know, I prefer for a lot of reasons the PPA. Some people prefer leases. We do offer a lease in one state, and that's Florida because it's required there. But I like the PPA because the customer is only paying for the power that's generated. Yes, definitely. So it's true one-to-one. So every kilowatt hour I generate, you, Benoit, are going to pay me X amount. You know what that rate's going to be for the next 25 years. It's very simple. It's easy to understand. Leases get a little bit tricky in my mind for a variety of reasons. And some people like leases. I just don't think there's a lot of, I think there's a little value left on the table for customers. There is a guarantee in the lease, but if you think of it as, okay, I'm going to generate X amount of kilowatt hours per year and you're going to pay me, you know, X cents per kilowatt hour. You multiply that, you divide it by 12 and that's effectively your lease payment, right? So it's sort of the same. The difference is if I only produce say 95% of the power, 90% of the power, whatever my production guarantee is in the lease, You might pay for 100% of the energy, but unless I fall below a certain threshold, you're not getting the benefit of 100% of the energy. So where a a true PPA, you know, if I underproduce one year, then yeah, you pay less. But if I overproduce, you pay more. But theoretically, you want the overproduction because at that point, you know, you're buying that power for less than you would have paid from the grid anyway. So that's generally a good thing because, you know, we try not to size these where you're going to overproduce to the point where, you know, you're not using that power, which is kind of interesting because we were talking before in the the pre-interview, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) We've Uh, had a lot of time actually for the pre-interview because we we were at the Giants game the day before. So It's a sore subject, but (laughs) (laughs) by the time this comes out, it'll be long forgotten. Um, The Giants lost. But yeah, we were talking about, I have solar on my house and Benoit was just asking me about my experience with it. And I was like, I was kind of curious what he meant by that. And once he uh, elaborated a little bit, I said, ah, I see. Yeah. So my segue is we're talking about using more power. And it's funny because, you know, I used to always, and I always have been this way about almost everything, you know, <laughs> why do the kids leave every single light in the house yes, on? It's um, like yeah. our house is always lit up, like no matter what, every TV's on, you yeah. know, they put the TV on, they go downstairs, they leave the one upstairs on, sure. bedroom lights on, fans going in the bathroom. Like, you know, I'm going around. <laughs> constantly turning off light switches so before you know i'd always say to him like you guys gotta turn off the light when you leave the room it's making me insane right well now they just look at me and go isn't it free we have solar you know and i so when you said you know what's your perspective about having on your house i do think that there's um something to that where it's not just kids but people in general they put solar up and they're now they have something they need, which is power, it costs less, right? So Definitely. your tendency is to use more of more it. More of it, yeah. Right. And I think that's anecdotally, at least in my life, I've seen it firsthand. I, I think it's very true. I think there's a, hey, you know, maybe I'm going to turn the thermostat down a little bit more in the summer than I normally would have, sure. or do an extra load of laundry, <laughs> or you can go on and on and on. But I do think there's some truth to that. So I guess my point is, my long-winded point is, if, if you overproduce a little bit, that's, that's probably generally a good thing. Yes, that, definitely. But that's actually a great point that I never actually thought about, that you're going to overuse because you have this lower cost or renewable resource so and it's interesting too i really appreciate you explaining about the lease because essentially no matter what the production is below 
getting to a certain point, it's almost like a fixed payment. And really, the residential homeowner who has solar on the system, you know, a PPA seems like a better option because you're paying for the actual production of the system, which you might not necessarily control. That could be as well dependent on how it's constructed or engineered, not purely based on the solar radiance. So that's interesting. Yeah, and there is a hybrid in the middle that a gentleman I work with, a brilliant man, I'll give him a shout out, Evan Dawson, is really an advocate of doing what we would refer to as a budget bill. I think most people would know it as. So the appeal of the lease is that you have a flat payment. So what you don't want is in the summer when you're you know, depending on where you live, your electric rate could be higher because you're in the, it's in summertime and depending on utility and so on and so forth, obviously there's a million factors here. So I'll speak generally, but you're going to pay more in the summer for power generally. And if you, you know, your solar is producing more in the summer because there's more sun hours, more sunshine, then you're, you're sort of getting hit twice, even though you are saving money in the long run. But the perception of the customer is that, Hey, like now I have this bill and it's, I thought it was going to be you know, a hundred dollars and it's 150. And even though that's good for them because you're producing more power and they're either banking credits or they're consuming all that power and paying less for it than they would have otherwise, it's still, it's a little lumpy, right? So the best of both worlds, I think, is to have a PPA with an option that you could do just like a utility would do a budget type bill. So it almost looks Like a lease, and there's other, I think there's a few of these sorts of products out there. There's always a little variant on all these things, but you're still only paying what you get. And then at the end of the year, it just gets, it gets trued up. So if you underproduce a little bit, you might get a credit. And if overproduce, you might owe a little, but generally speaking, like, especially after the first few months, we're really pretty accurate at determining how much the array is going to produce in a given year. Obviously, there's always weather abnormalities, but over a span of time, you know, yeah, that kind of gets washed away. So I do think that there's, uh, you know, he's convinced me over time that this is an interesting product. And it's, it's not a different contract, which is really neat. At least I don't think it has to be still something that we're looking into, but it'd be more of a service. Like you could sure. opt in or out if you want a fixed payment. And we have a lot of fun debates in our office about this. And uh, it's one issue that uh, I've flip-flopped on yeah. a couple of times thinking about, but I'm starting to think that that is a, a good product that would solve, or a good service, I should say, because more of a service. service. Yes, A good service that would kind of solve that need or desire to want a lease. But then, like I said, you still only pay for what you get, which is what I really like about it. Definitely. And it's interesting because I know I'm referencing back to the past episode, but Nate said it should be the PPA agreement or lease agreement should be as easy for your mom to read and understand. So that is a great point. Simplicity and basically having the customer being educated what they're getting into, which is great. So it's interesting because you mentioned the California market. How much Have you seen what solar plus storage in the residential solar market? I know like California has very strong incentives for putting storage in residential homes. Has that really taken off? Because I know still, I feel like, at least from my perspective, lithium-ion batteries are still pretty expensive. You know, yes, there's some people who are willing to pay extra or premium to have that sort of backup power, but there's still potentially like cheaper options, you know, like a generator and other things where you would use like natural gas. Have you seen really like much adoption of storage on the residential front? Yeah, I mean, we're still at IGS. I think we're been in California just for about a quarter now. So we're still working on a storage solution. Last time it was interesting. 
there was a question that somebody had posted on LinkedIn that we talked about on the podcast that was about how to contract for these. And now yeah. I would say, you know, the two, the main competitors, I guess, to IGS, the main companies, the, the large ones in this space sure. all have, you know, a contract now in California and, and I think in mass too, that includes batteries. So they've obviously cracked that code and they're doing it, you know, on the last earnings call, which was just last week, I think that was like 15%. They had said of customers, I think it was in California, maybe it was the country. I, I'm, I honestly don't remember off the top of my head, but either way, it was a, a pretty large percentage. I would say, you know, what we're seeing and maybe on a little bit more of a micro level than a macro level is SCE in particular has the time of use rates, which is Southern California Edison. And we're seeing more need for batteries there because as they shift what power costs to later in the day when the solar's not producing. We're seeing a value prop to put in a battery and then deploy the energy that you're capturing in the day later when it's more expensive. So, and their tariffs are very complicated. So I'll just use like a really high level number. Let's just say it costs 10 cents more for power per kilowatt hour after 5 p.m., right? Well, you're still going to get some sun in California after five, but you know, that's when you're getting home from work, probably, you know, you're just starting to maybe make dinner or get the kids ready to go to sports or, or whatever it is that, that your normal routine is. I think generally it's when a lot of people are using power, you know, your air conditions coming on depending on where you're at. So to be able to offset that 10 cent Delta just by having a battery over time, I think makes a lot of economic sense. I can't say that IGS is there today. I also think some of that's strategic. I don't know that we're not the big gorilla in, in the market, so we don't need to be out yes. there leading the tip of the spear, so to speak, Definitely. on that some of sense. these things. We have piloted some batteries and some other things. That I talked about that on the last one, so I won't go back into that. But you know, it's something that we're interested in, we're still looking at, we're learning. We want to make sure that we have a, an opinion, and I, I don't know that we're 100% there yet, on what the best battery technology is. And I, don't, I don't mean from a chemistry. I think lithium ion is going to be the, maybe it's not the best, but it's probably going to be the most accepted, at least from a bankability and financing standpoint, which again is always the number one thing you got to think about. But just to have opinions on that, we're watching the warranties get longer, right? I think one of the challenges in the contract originally was battery is a 10-year warranty and then you oh, have 25-year right. warranties on the panel. How yes. does that work? Like what happens at if I don't want to replace the batteries after your time, yeah. do I contractually have to? Like, you know, if I own them. So there's there's a lot of nuances there. But actually a question I had for you and kind of segues into this topic is what do you see as the innovative, what's the thing that gets you excited about solar market? It could be a product, a you know, a technology, a financing. What do you yeah, that's about? interesting that you asked during this question, because I really think solar plus storage is going to be such a great innovation within the industry. As you said, you know, solar and wind is like intermittent form of power. Obviously, storage allows then you to use it at night or when the sun's not shining. I think as well, another thing that you mentioned is like software solution or the platform of how to take advantage of the battery and when to dispatch and for profitability purposes in different states, how to use that battery is going to be a huge opportunity. And why I like it is because as a developer and consulting company, I feel like it creates a lot more complexity in, within the industry 
but a lot more opportunity. And I feel like, you know, I like to play in the parts that are more complicated because I feel like there's less competition. And solar to me is like a very standard sort of asset and very easy to understand. But then once you couple it with storage, it takes it to another level. And we're going to see a huge proliferation of it, of solar plus storage in the near future. And I agree with you, like lithium-ion technology is going to be the huge thing. And it's all about bankability. I know you mentioned that on the last podcast, but it's, you know, lithium-ion seems like the technology that financiers are comfortable with. We're also seeing the most cost declines in lithium-ion because of the, you know, the gigafactories that obviously Tesla's doing, but other companies out there that are doing. I don't know who told me this, but there's like a, China has invested billions of dollars into energy storage. And so it's, it'll be interesting to see. I think this is going to probably, I know the whole industry has been talking about storage for a long time, but I think finally it's probably going to you know take shape in the next four years, maybe three or four years. It just seems like it's just, everyone's been talking about it, but to really see it being applied. And then the exciting thing too is, I know I'm going into some of the pre-interview, but we're talking about the investment tax credit. Potentially, like having the ITC for standalone storage, I think will be a huge opportunity as well. And, you know, a lot of, I don't know how aware people are of this or the listeners are, but really like the transmission distribution network of the United States needs to be upgraded. And storage is a way of helping with that solution because you're able to dispatch electricity, you know, very quickly. And it's more localized than maybe like a beaker natural gas plant. So I know that's a couple of different points. I know. I, I apologize. Like, it's I'm almost like I, I should have jotted down notes. There's so many different directions I could go with that. So it was a, Since you were going into tangents in the beginning, I felt like <laughs> I had to go what? into other tangents as no, well. No, <laughs> it, it was all coherent in answering the question that I asked. So that's, that's great. Yeah, I mean, so one of the things that I think could be a game changer is in – I'm not a technology you know, expert, so I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but there are microinverters, so inverters on panels that are actually coming out that will run your solar when the grid is down, with, even in the absence of a battery. Oh, wow. And to me, that's, that's a game changer. That's a game changer from a resiliency purpose. That's amazing. I still think you know, there's a tremendous benefit of having a battery, but that's just one more component that is really neat because I think a lot of people don't understand is that generally speaking, without a battery, if the grid's down, then your solar's down as well yes. uh, for a variety of reasons, power quality reasons and safety reasons and others. So I think a lot of people generally assume that, hey, I have solar, so the grid's down. It should be, assuming it's sunny out, you know, I should still have power. And that's not the case without batteries or now potentially this new inverter technology. And again, I guess I always have to take a step back for those that don't know what an inverter is. You know, so the sun produces uh, direct current or DC current, and then we use alternating current here in the state. So the inverter just converts the direct current from the sun to alternating current so that you consume it, you know, at your meter and in the grid. So that's what the purpose of an inverter does. And there's different kinds. There's, you know, central inverters, like one big inverter that runs a whole solar array that that would be like a power plant. And then there's string inverters that'll run, you know, strings of panels. And then in residential, there's microinverters that are really specific for a panel or two. So just a quick rundown, I guess, an inverter. No, that, that's helpful because we have a wide range of listeners who listen, the Mavericks as we call them. So I think it's helpful that you explain that. I really appreciate that. 
This episode of the Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Podcast Laundry, the podcast concierge service that I use to make sure that my listeners hear the best quality show. They do the dirty work of podcasting for me. Yes, graphics, quotes, show notes, master editing, and much more. All I have to do is record. So if you're a busy podcaster like me with an engaged audience and want to free up time to do more of what you'd love to do, like going to the gym or spending time with loved ones, go to podcastlaundry.com to schedule your consultation or call 347-871-8273. That's podcastlaundry.com or 347-871-8273. Thank you. So, but the thing I actually liked more about your answer is, it's funny because I'm going to jump way ahead here to uh, some of the things that we've already talked about in the pre-interview. But so, Benoit, I'll just I'll ask the question. He, he knows that I have this uh, <laughs> whiteboard in my office and it sits above my my right shoulder. And, and our company has been really great about doing video calls, which I totally enjoy. I feel like I'm actually in the room, like the technology is it's so clear. Oh, it's amazing. Can, yeah. I mean, I literally feel like I'm sitting at the table, but we got this thing where it's kind of goofy, but I have a whiteboard and it's so clear that they can read it. And I noticed this one day because I, I forget what it was. I, I had like, you know, made one of those signs, I think for my kids first day sure. of school, like, you know, Allison, first day of third grade. <laughs> I like this. My favorite food is that. And they were all reading it. I'm like, what are they looking yes. at? You know? And it's like, they're looking at this sure. sign that was leaning in my office so I was like, oh, man, I, that's funny. So I got a, a whiteboard. I always try and, and write different quotes on there. And one of my favorite ones, I actually just post on LinkedIn about this, is that the pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity while an optimist sees opportunity in every difficulty. And I think that's such a great segue into what you had just said about solar and batteries adding complexity, which means that, you know, as a consultant and expert, you see the value in that. You see the opportunity in the difficulty. And I think that's one of the things that makes you so successful. And I just love that outlook because it, it tied in perfectly with literally just, we were texting about this over the weekend <laughs> yes. because I just posted this on, on LinkedIn because I just love this quote. And like I said, every week we generally have uh, weekly meetings. And so I always make sure I, I change my quote. And that was the most recent one. And I just, I love it so much because it says so many things and also kind of plays into my personal mantra. So every year I write goals on another whiteboard that is not seen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not that I don't want to be held accountable, but I have those hanging in my office as well. And I, I always think about what's, what's my mantra going to be for the year. And um, I know last year was I see it because I believe it, which is a Les oh, Brown quote. Awesome. Yes. We were talking about, we're talking Les, about Brown. Les Brown. Yes, um, you got me into Les Brown with uh, <laughs> putting that stuff on Twitter and LinkedIn. So. I like some of his speeches. Yeah, I, there's a few good ones on YouTube, and I, I love listening. That's why I listen to when I run. I've been uh, training for a half marathon. I want to do with my brother and. I don't know. It's just something. So if I'm not listening to a book or a podcast, I, uh, depending on the length, I'll listen to like a 30 minute speech from, yes. you know, it could be Les Brown or Tony Robbins or somebody like that. And I, I love that stuff. So, but I, I just think there's, there's these little phrases that really you can ground yourself with for, you know, day, month, year, life that, you know, and I'm, trust me, I'm not perfect. My, my wife has to remind me all the time. Uh, <laughs> she did so perfectly yesterday when, you know, we had a couple things in our house that just were going wrong. She's like, just looked at me and she knew I was a little irritated. And she's like, the kids are healthy. I was like, that's true. I mean, what a gratitude. But yeah, I mean, 
that timing is perfect. Yeah, timing <laughs> That's is exactly perfect. what yes. I needed to hear at that moment. But so I, yeah, I just love that one. Cause I think, you know, I see it because I believe it, you know, it kind of turns that traditional saying on its head. And I, I try to stay away from, you know, the traditional, I'll believe it when I see it. Cause it's such a negative attitude, right? Yes. If you really believe in something, it's like you, to you, it's real. It's tangible. You can feel it. It's there. I know it. You will not convince. I'm unwavering. Yes. And that's the kind of attitude I think that makes a successful business person, entrepreneur, entrepreneur, whatever it is, being, finding what your passion is, the value add, focusing on your strengths and just being tenacious, right? Taking the road less traveled. My mind today is for this year is, and you'll see in, if you follow me on LinkedIn is win every day. And like, it took me a while to think about that one because that one I didn't borrow from anyone that was sort of just my own, just thinking over and over again. Um, that's a great quote. And if that's somewhere else out there, you know, okay. It was an original thought, I, I believe at the time, but you know, it took me a while. I was like, how does that sound to other people? Like, how do you yeah. take that? But cause there's so many different ways you can take that, right? You could take that as being maybe arrogant or cocky, but that's, that's not what it is. And I know you guys had mentioned a book on the last podcast. By the time this comes out, I don't know which one it'll be. Sure. Is it, was it 50 or you that? I don't know. We're, we're now at 53 actually. Then it was amazing. 50. The one that last came out with your yeah. co-host. Uh, oh, Lee, Lee Wang. That's episode 50. Yeah. Yes. You guys were talking about the book we were, we were talking about last night. Oh, the um, Dale Carnegie. Yeah. How to stop worrying and start living and how to influence friends and people or something. I'm messing up. The end yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, I thought of this and it's like the whole intent was this idea of being able to ask yourself at the end of the day, did I win today? And what, what does that mean? To me, that means am I 1%, not even, am I 0.01% better? Did I get up today like we talked about? We went to the Giants game last night. I wanted to lay in bed, but I made myself get up and get a workout <laughs> in. Maybe it wasn't the best workout I've ever had, but you know what? When I look back tonight, I'm going to say, yeah, I had a great day. Yeah. You know, look at all the things that I got done when I could have sat, could have laid in bed, could have took the extra time. Sure. And that, I mean, that applies to just everything in life. And the reason why I brought the book up is because after I came up with this, actually, I uh, was reading a book that somebody had recommended to me. It's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Oh, wow. That's interesting because... Lee Wang, who's the co-host of Renew Energy, he just finished reading Atomic Habits. Yeah. And I actually have it on my Audible because I actually recommended to him The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. That's in my Audible. I haven't listened to yeah. that one yet. But That's an amazing book. Yeah, The Atomic Habits has the same concept. And it's in the beginning somewhere, just the 1% continuous improvement. And it just compounds on itself, right? And I always think of success is the interest of hard work right? Yes. So you put in hard work, the earlier, the younger you put it in, just like saving for your 401k, the more it's going to compound. And I always try and view things through that lens. So if I can get 1%, not like I said, not even 0.1% yeah. better every day in any aspect of life, whether it's being a better dad, better coach, a better employee, you know, a better mentor, a better friend, a better husband. If I get just a little bit better day by day, year by year, then I'm going to eventually get to a point. Well, you know, I don't think I'll ever be happy. I'll never be content because <laughs> it's my personality. But, you know, it, just being able to get a little bit better every day, you know, not fall into your comfort zone or being complacent, I think is just really, really important. It's really uh, a good having the discipline to do things 
to get up and have that drive and trying to have a positive attitude, you know, in the face of adversity or things don't go your way. And again, it's something I, I work really hard on, but I'm not great at, especially like have a long day from work and come home, run the kids around, you know, they want food, they want this and it, it's tough. It's not easy. I'll say that. But the other thing, you know, that I posted with that quote that we talked about is, and I know you listened to a little bit, is there's a two-minute clip on YouTube. I encourage anyone to look it up. It's two minutes. Whether you get something out of it or not, it's two minutes, but it's from Jocko Willink, and it, it, it's a, it, I think it's just called Good. I, I it's don't, called Good, yes. Yeah, it's, it's on YouTube, and I think it sums it up perfectly. It's like, no matter what happens, good. It gives me the opportunity to get better, you know, good. It gives, it's just having that attitude of really, you know, no matter what life faces at me, that you can overcome it. Yeah, I mean, I think this is amazing. Uh, a lot of things that I believe in that you're reiterating, which is amazing. And I think, too, with the Jocko part where he says good is that anything bad that happens in your life, there's always good that comes from it. You know what I mean? Because you're put in a situation where you're going to have to adapt. And there's some good things that happen because I think someone who works for him tells him, you know, a negative thing. And Jocko's first response is good. So, yeah. you know, and he said, Get Oh, I, I knew, I knew <laughs> he was, you're going to say good. And if you don't know Jocko, he has a very popular podcast. He's a former Navy SEAL. He has New York Times bestseller. He also has actually a, a children's book as well that's really popular too. But I think one thing, it's interesting because I didn't know where this win every day came from, but I loved it because I saw you always hashtagging it. Yeah. I didn't realize that was a concept that you actually came up with. Because for me, I actually do the same thing and sometimes I have to be more mindful of it. But what we really only can control is the present. We can't change what happened in the past. We can't do anything about the future. So if we could really focus on our present and be a little bit better, that as you said, makes a huge difference as far as like compounding. I mean, what I do is at the end of each day, I think about what were the successes and what could I have done better? And I try to just like live in that daily tight compartment, which is actually some of the concepts from Dale Carnegie about living in the present moment and how to stop worrying, start living. You only really could change the present. So that's an interesting point. The other thing too that I thought was very interesting is Growth mindset is really what you're talking about. You know, it's the people who believe that they could do something and are passionate and go for it. They're the ones who are really making a real difference in this world. There are a lot of people who are, are comfortable and complacent and they're satisfied with what they have. But, you know, the people who have big goals and accomplishments have to have a, a growth mindset. So I think these are all really great pearls of wisdom from Nate Giovanelli. Wow. So, <laughs> Borrowed from a lot of books that we read. That we read, yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting because yeah. Conor McGregor, if you're not familiar, he's a UFC fighter who also boxes as well. He talks about, we all start at equal. It's just, I put in so much hard work to be a successful fighter. But he basically says, we all are starting at the same position. It's just how hard you focus on it. And obviously, you know, you have to have some sort of it's not purely hard work as well, you know, obviously some sort of aptitude as well. Wasn't it the whole 10,000 hour concept? I don't remember what book that is from Malcolm Gladwell. It's, yeah, it's from Malcolm Gladwell. Is that David ten, and Goliath? I, I don't remember. Yeah. What, what, but yeah, it's the whole 10,000 hours. And there, there's, it might be an excerpt from that from a uh, Freakonomics too, or one, one of those books. Yeah, Freakonomics talked about the 10,000 hours. As yeah, well. and how like all the sports 
Like if you're a hockey player, they're all born in like the same three months of the year because of the cutoff. So they're like at a young age, they're just maybe not better. They're just bigger. So then yeah. they make the all-star team and then they play more than the other kids. The other kids that were born in say December get discouraged because sure. they're smaller. I mean, that is, that's a real thing. It's proven thing, right? So yeah. I think back to your point, it's, yeah, it's all about having the fortitude and being able to put in the work. And obviously, you know, when you're a kid and young age, it's a little bit different how all that works out. But I do think that there's definitely a lot of truth to that about being an expert is really just putting in the time again. So back to what I was saying is that, you know, success is the interest of hard work. Yes, that's true. So that's something that that's, that's a great way, way to look at it. I never, you know, thought about it that in that terms, but it's interesting. They have the whole concept of compounding as well over, you know, years that really become significant. It's interesting. I'm actually going to transition a little bit. I was wondering what you see as major trends within the industry. I know we talked about actually a lot of different trends. I don't know if there's anything else that we haven't covered that you would like to discuss now, as a thought leader within the solar <laughs> industry. Saying, I think if you keep saying that, I'm, I'm not going to correct you, but eventually it'll be true. So be true. I'm just going to take that attitude toward that, but I appreciate it. You know, it's funny. I listened, again, I listened to the last podcast and the one thing that stuck out to me about that was when we talked about this at the end of that one, what the trends were and everything I said, I feel like is still the trend. Still the trends, <laughs> I don't yeah. think it's changed. It hasn't, doesn't really change. It's interesting. You know, the part of the reasons why I actually am asking that is because we're now coming to the end of the year. This podcast will probably come out the middle of December. We're right now in the beginning of November, but uh, people have been asking me, what do you think are the major trends for next year? I wrote actually a LinkedIn article that was actually pretty popular about this last year. And I looked at it, I'm like, most of those trends are still the same. I remember. So it's interesting. Yeah. It's not like, yeah, I mean, even trends maybe to 2030, I don't know, 10 years. But that's the thing. The industry changes so much and everything happens so quickly. But I think you've talked about a lot of major trends that are going on in the industry. Yeah, I think, you know, there's obviously batteries, there's community solar, which we didn't talk about, but... Uh, I think LMI, I'd like to get it to be a trend, whether it's through community solar or through other programs. Yes. I think there's there's a lot of room for it. And I think it's sort of the missing piece to really push us over the top. Just again, it's my opinion, my personal view, something that I believe. You know, on a broader scale, I think you see the same trends. I think you're going to see less coal. You're going to see more oh, natural definitely. gas. And then you're going to see increased adoption of renewables. Sure. And uh, I think, you know, you're going to have states that are, are going to start catching up to California. I guess you could, I don't know about Hawaii, but you're going to see that happen over time. I think you're going to see more penetration of renewables in states with higher sun hours that don't have incentives and historically haven't had incentives. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, as you mentioned, is the cost is coming down. So now all you need, your incentive is that extra sun, right? The Florida sunshine is enough to really push that over the top. And I, I think you're going to continue to see that. I do think something that we you sort of touched on and sort of alluded that I, I kind of wanted to get your perspective on was the ITC. <laughs> so, um, you know, we've been talking about this a little bit and the federal investment tax credit is set here to step down from 30 to 26%, which, you know, frankly makes a pretty big difference. It's more than you think it's like 4%. Eh, but, you know, again, when you're talking about something that's trying to get to grid parity, obviously, you know, it's, I guess it's talking on both sides of my mouth, grid parity with this tax incentive, but they're tax incentives for all kinds of things. But, you know, we're at a point in solar where I'd certainly, I think a lot of people would like to see the tax credit 
continue. I think it's been very successful in creating more renewables and getting more renewables into you know our utility mix. I'm not sure it's the exact right time to step down. Obviously, the, the idea would be eventually to that it wouldn't be necessary, at least not at that level. But I think by the time this comes out, we should be pretty close to knowing Definitely. if the ITC actually gets extended and stays at the 30%. And I want your prediction on whether <laughs> what's on January 1st, is it going to be 30% or is it going to be 26%? Yeah. So this one is, you know, obviously I want the investment tax credit to continue. As Nate said, 30%, it steps down to 20, 20 to 26%, then 2021 to 22%. And then 2022, 10% for commercial, industrial, and zero for residential. So that's a huge, actually, step down in a very short period of time. People don't realize that most energy assets in the U.S. has some sort of incentive, usually a tax sort of incentive. They're master limited partnerships to help incentivize development. The reason why I'm actually saying this is because certain people say that solar gets all these incentives. But, you know, we're not talking about other energy assets getting incentives. So usually the way I look at something, by the way, this is a very drawn out answer. So maybe I'll just go to the <laughs> But I just am not optimistic that it'll get extended, even though it's been extended for now so many times at 30%. And I never thought it would. Also as well, people are not familiar. There was the cash grant before that was incentive. What's amazing is like this always happens like in the last minute, sometime yeah. at the end of December. I think it might be a little more difficult for it to stay at 30%, even though I would want to just because I think, you know, the Democrats are very focused on impeachment. I know I told this President Trump as well. Obviously, he's not pro-solar. And then I thought like putting, if you're not familiar, the Trump administration has put tariffs on panels and you know, they were initially not tariffs on bifacial, which is a new technology. And then in October, I think, or end of September, they put tariffs on bifacial. So I thought that was a bad precedent. So that's why I felt like maybe the investment tax credit won't be extended. But obviously, I'm not in the weeds of it, you know, working, you know, we're part of, you know, the different lobbying organizations and helping to keep it at 30%. But I was actually blown away, Nate, with our pre-interview driving to the Giants-Cowboys <laughs> game, that you are actually very optimistic that the investment tax credit was interesting because I was at Solar Power International, which obviously you were as well. And a lot of people were telling me that they were optimistic that it was going to get extended. There was a lot of excitement towards that, which I was very surprised to hear. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. It's I think if you ask uh, some of my colleagues, they would just say it's <laughs> the optimism I have in for solar in yeah. general. But I don't think that's it. I you know we did talk about this a little bit, and certainly uh, appreciated your answer. I, I didn't think you were going to give that much detail, and I, I don't want to turn it into a political debate. But I think that there's really no. It's it's really hard to be against a tax credit. Yeah. I, I really think that. That's true. That's a great point, by the way. Nate really, when he kind of explained that versus a cash grant. Yes. That's, yeah, definitely. I totally believe like a tax credit, even though I believe it's now as an industry, we've gotten comfortable with structuring these deals and it adds a lot of complexity. But from a government perspective, I definitely see how a credit makes a lot more sense. It's the easiest a, path it, to success. And again, in my view, 
So I like that it has that going for it that, you know, I think it would be it. Now you could also say that it's kind of really not on his radar, you know, but at the same time, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, who knows, uh, again, I'm not in the weeds either, how they bargain or horse trade for these things, but it seems like a pretty easy give. It's something to talk about something that you've done. And I mean, the, the real shame is just getting everyone to see that there, there are more jobs and renewable than there are, I think, oil, gas, and coal combined, probably times two. I used to have that stat. I know I posted on it last year in LinkedIn, but it is pretty remarkable how many jobs I think are at stake. And I, I do believe that the one thing I think that most people, even people in the solar industry that maybe aren't involved in the financial end, don't fully understand is that the impact that that little bit of step down from 30 to 26% has, it it does have a lot of impact and you got to think of it. It's going to come out probably three ways, right? Like the investor is going to make a little less, the customer is going to pay a little more in the EPC or the engineering procurement construction firm. The contractor is going to make a little less. So maybe if you divide it by three, it's okay. But then when you go back to, I think this kind of ties everything together. When we're talking about getting into states that don't have any other incentive, that just rely on high sun hours, that do have relatively low you know, it's not maybe California, but it's a state like a Florida that has low energy costs. Like when those states are just kind of really, in my, again, in my opinion, getting rolling with solar, now would not be the time to pull that credit away. And then when you start rolling in like batteries and other complexities and other costs, and going back to your point of the value add that batteries and solar plus storage can add to the aging infrastructure, which, you know, it's, by the way, it's not just our that's our true. energy infrastructure. It's all of our, our infrastructure. infrastructure the US, <laughs> yeah, yes. right. So when you see what the value add is there, I think that is undeniable. I mean, just look what's happening. It's all over the news. I, it's funny. I had a, a weather alert app about PG&E, you know, like yes. shutting down power. I was actually out, as you know, something that's awesome that uh, I should just mention that IDS Definitely does is, and again, it kind of goes into my LMI mission, at least in a small scale, is that a few times a year we send a group of people from IGS from all departments with a tremendous company called Grid Alternatives, and we sponsor their international program, and we go put solar, you know, some of it's, it could be, you know, we did solar in Nicaragua for farmers that didn't have power so they could have irrigation and, and different things like that, and I actually just got back from a trip to Mexico where we put solar on a network of, it's one of 10 private orphanages, so there, there are a lot of kids there that they just don't have enough orphanages, so there's a lot of private orphanages there. I learned a lot. It's actually a really eye-opening experience and goes back to the power of, of perspective, you know, like kind of back to what I was saying just from the other day, you know, uh, my washing machine broke and my wife said, well, the kids aren't sick. So that's great. You know, so yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's hard to just remove. It's hard to keep that perspective in mind. You know, it's, it's something that I wish I could carry around because I think it really changes how you view the world when you see how much, you know, how lucky we are and how much we have in in this country in general. But we sponsor this international program and we go 
put solar on whether it's an orphanage or other, you know, giving power to the people that need it the most. And they're going to use the money they save from having to buy power to do all these great things that they do and all the kids they sponsor. And I'm going to do a blog about it. So I post a little snippet on LinkedIn, but if you want to donate to one of these causes, I'll make sure that's that's in the blog and in, in my LinkedIn post. I don't necessarily want to plug it here, but I will make sure I do that in there. So if somebody wants to see it, they can they can seek it out and, and look at it. But my whole point was we weren't even sure we were going to get back. So we were in, you know, in Baja and in the, in the Baja Peninsula there. And just, it was in Tijuana. And then we went south a little bit to Ensenada. And then coming back, the fires were insane. I mean, it was, they were literally all around us and we were driving back up to the border. It was just, everything was black and smoking. And, and you see the devastation that's caused, you know, wherever you want to call it, global warming, climate change. I, you know, I think I get in a debate with the uh, this guy that I love who I used to work with for years. And, you know, we debate this a lot, the difference between climate change and global warming in his view, you know, like (laughs) climate is changing, but it's not global warming. He doesn't believe it's uh, man-made. So whatever your stance is, we'll say, I think it's undeniable. It's nearly impossible to argue that the last 10 years we've had the hottest years on record. The climate is changing. Okay. (laughs) So I'll I'll reserve the debate because we don't have enough time on global warming in his view, but so you see all these wildfires, and again, there's such a benefit of distributed generation. It goes beyond just saving a few cents per kilowatt hour, right? It goes beyond all the good things it's doing for the planet for the next generation. I mean, yeah, one of the fears I have is, you know, my kids are going to get stuck with this problem, their grandkids, and I don't want them to look at me one day and say, did you believe in that? What did you do about it? You know, yes. I... I don't think I could live with that. So that's that's one of the reasons why, you know, I do what I do. And like I said, you know, I always talk about what I believe in because I, I feel like there's a real connection there. Like when you talk about, like, I believe this, right? So, you know, if you believe it too, great, let's change the world together. Do you know what I mean? And I, that's, if you look at my LinkedIn, that's what my description is. This is what I believe in. And, you know, I want to, I like the sparring with people that maybe don't agree with everything, but to me, it's a fundamental truth. It's something that I believe. And I think it's so much more powerful when you put it out there in that manner that, yeah, this is something that, you know, to me is happening and here's what I'm doing about it. And it it just brings a community of people together that say, yeah, I I agree. I want to do that too. And I, I just think that's, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, I think this is amazing. And I think it, this has actually been an amazing podcast interview. I appreciate, Nate, you being on the podcast. If people want to learn more about IGS and you know stay in touch with you, what's the best way to... Yeah, so if anybody wants to contact me, I think LinkedIn's the best way. My name will be spelled in the notes. So I try and respond to everybody who, who drops me a note on there. I just think it's a really great professional marketplace and it's somewhere that again, you can really bring people together and for common cause or learn more about other viewpoints. And that's what I really appreciate about LinkedIn as a network. So I'd say that's the best way to contact me. Otherwise, you know, feel free to email me. And again, my email, I'm sure will be in the, in the notes. I'll just say that instead of trying to spell it uh, <laughs> and you're trying to jot it down. I think that would be difficult, but yeah, I would encourage people to reach out. I always love talking to new people or, you know, if something I said that that resonated, I'd love to hear about it. If there's something I said that you just flat out disagreed <laughs> with, I love to hear about that too. So, um, no, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. 
I hope I get invited back. Oh, definitely. So. I mean, this we have like a whole set of things that we didn't actually talk about because there was just so much great discussion. You know, I appreciate your perspective. And you definitely, if you haven't listened to episode 20 of the Solar Maverick podcast with Nate, that one really goes into, you know, his, how he's been a successful entrepreneur and his story with IGS Solar. And I think that would be helpful for people to know your story. And I know we obviously didn't go really into it here because we did that the last time. So thank you again. No problem. Thanks, Benoit. Oh, anytime. Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick Podcast. The Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those that you think could benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at reneuenergy.com. The Solar Maverick Podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thangen and Kevin Y. Brown.